Good morning, Archfield. Today we have two readings, the first which is taken from Numbers 6, verses 22 to 27. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. The second reading is taken from Galatians 3 verses 13 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray just for one moment? Uh, Father, as we open your word this morning, as we read from your word this morning, would you make your word come alive in us? And would you make us come alive in your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You have no idea how good it is to see faces, or at least half faces, in front of me this morning. In the summer of 1979, an excavation on a hill in Jerusalem was led by an Israeli archaeologist, a guy called Gabriel Barke. To his dismay for his excavation, he was given a group of enthusiastic 12-year-old volunteers from the Young Jewish Archaeologists Club, which sounds like a lot of fun. Among them was a particularly annoying teenager called Nathan, 12 years old, and Barke wanted Nathan out of his sight. He gave this young lad a cave to clean and told him that better be as clean as your mother's kitchen, and I don't want to see you for an hour at least. And 10 minutes later, Nathan was tugging on the back of Gabriel Barke's shirt, suggesting that he might have found something. When the team investigated, they discovered that in Nathan's cave, the floor of the cave uh, lifted and revealed a secret compartment. Out of this compartment, they pulled over a thousand objects, literally invaluable historical artifacts. There was gold, silver, arrowheads, different weaponry. And among the treasure that they pulled out, one tiny purple folded object. It took the team about three years to painstakingly pull open this object and discover that it was a scroll. A little scroll that would have been folded up and placed in a necklace or an amulet like a good luck charm. It was dated to the 7th century BC, so that's the time of King Solomon and the first temple. It was in 1979 And it still is today the oldest piece of archaeological evidence we have ever found for the biblical text. And despite being almost 3,000 years old, the team were astonished to find that the Hebrew inscription can still be read. This is the Hebrew inscription. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and grant you peace. 
A baptism would have been really useful this morning. It's an extraordinary thought that we are still singing over children, something that 3,000 years ago was buried in the ground, and we find evidence for today. Our current series is called Pilgrimage. We're looking at the book of Numbers, a people on a wilderness journey, a people who were seeking God and encountering God uh, despite a time of significant disruption and uncertainty and difficulty, maybe a little bit like us. And in number six that Michael has just read for us, God has made all kinds of organizational arrangements for the journey. And as he comes to the end of his organizational arrangements, he gives them one last instruction. He speaks to Moses and he says, I I want the Levite priests to bless the people. I find it fascinating that God wants to be directly involved in their lives, and God still wants to be directly involved in the lives of ordinary people. But the way that he does his direct involvement is through partnership and through participation. The essence of what's happening in number six, as the Levite priests raise their hands to bless the people, is this. God is saying to the people, live in my blessing and live out my blessing. And that's exactly what I want to say to you to us this morning. We are journeying through significant disruption, disorientation, uncertainty. We are going somewhere and we don't know exactly what it will look like when we arrive. I don't know what the announcement is going to be on Tuesday. I don't know what the British or Irish governments will do next. But at the risk of sounding really simple, Orangefield, live in the blessing of God. Live out the blessing of God one day at a time. Let me ask you a question. What actually is blessing? If somebody had never been to church before and you met them on Alpha or you you, you spoke to them on the way out or they'd never opened a Bible before in their lives and they asked you, what is blessing? How would you explain it? When I think of blessing and the language of blessing in our uh, modern culture, I think of three things. Number one is when I've forgotten to pray for someone. So I tell Sam, for example, uh, a friend on Wednesday night at home group that I'll pray for him. And then I see him in church and, and this guilt begins to rise up. And I realize I've forgotten to pray for Sam. If you ever find yourself in this predicament, don't worry. There's a simple prayer you can pray on the spot. You don't have to say it out loud. You can pray it in your head. Just say this, dear God, bless Sam. Amen. And that way, when you see Sam, you can say, all right, mate, it's good to see you. How's your week been? Yeah, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. The second thing that I think of is when the minister is at the door after the service and on the way out, because he's the minister, he might not be quite sure what to say, but because he's the minister, he feels that it, it should sound spiritual. It should sound Christian. So he uses the language of blessing. Oh yes, bless you and bless you and bless you as well. And the third thing is the most obvious. Blessing in our modern language is the appropriate social response to an explosive sneeze, isn't it? Um, my wife complains that I over-dramatize a sneeze. And she's right, I do, uh, for two main reasons. One is that in terms of simple pleasures, there is nothing as enjoyable as just letting a really good sneeze go. Uh, And the second reason is that I read a story in the newspaper one time about one of the Queen's guards who needed a sneeze. 
but he was on duty, so he couldn't move, he couldn't make any noise, and he had to completely internalize a sneeze. Now, I have no idea how you do that. I just imagine him standing there being like, mm. but apparently he did so much damage to his throat that he had to have surgery. So I, I remember grabbing that story, and I kind of brandished that story at Naomi, and I was like, this is why I over-dramatize a sneeze. The safest thing to do when you need a sneeze is to just let it rip. Now, if you do that inside your mask, that'll be an uncomfortable experience for the next 20 minutes or so. But Sorry, I, I am um, off topic. The, the, point, the, point is, uh, the point is this. The language of blessing has become a trite thing. It's become a vague thing. It's become a Christian-sounding idea. In the Bible, in number six, the biblical picture of blessing is not trite or vague. It's rich, and it's weighty, and it's beautiful. If you're a Bible geek, and I know there are some out there, there's a pattern. In the Old Testament, there are two words for blessing, Barak and Esher. One means happiness, like a profound happiness, and the other uh, means to speak the goodness and favor of God over someone. In the New Testament, again, two words, the same pattern, makarios and eulogia, one meaning profound happiness, and the other meaning to speak the goodness and the favor of God over someone. So let me tie that together. What is blessing according to the Bible? Blessing is the projection of God's deep goodness into the life of another. Blessing is a soulful projection of God's deep goodness into the life of another. And according to the Bible, it's not a vague, wishful thinking. It has actual spiritual power. Dallas Willard, who inevitably was going to be brought into this, uh, described blessing like this. He said, blessing is a language of the soul. And blessing is like the hokey-cokey. When you bless someone... You put your whole self in. You will it. You feel it. You think it. And you say it. Blessing is the Bible's word for the soul reaching out in love. Blessing is the Bible's word for the soul reaching out in love. Blessing is all over the Bible. Genesis 1, 28, God made human beings. What was the first thing he did? He blessed them. To be human is to need blessing. To be human is to crave the blessing, the goodness and the favor of God. Our society today, that the kind of um, pain that you hear and that you feel in our society today it is a craving for the blessing, the goodness and the favor of God. In Genesis 3, human beings step outside of God's blessing and he responds to that by blessing them even more. He speaks to Abraham and he says to Abraham, you will be a channel through which I will bless the whole earth. Live in my blessing and live out my blessing. In number six, he blesses all of Israel. He says, you as a nation will be a channel through which I will bless the whole earth. Live in my blessing and live out my blessing. The first word of Jesus' teaching ministry is the word blessed. He blessed children. He blessed his disciples. He blessed the poor in spirit. He even blessed his enemies. And when he ascended into heaven in Luke 24, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. That's Luke 24, 50. While he was blessing them, he was taken up. He said to his followers as his uh, parting words, live in my blessing 
and live out my blessing. Michael read from Galatians 3, 13 to 14. In Galatians, uh, Paul is, is trying to communicate the heart of the gospel message. Galatians has like a purity about it in terms of the gospel message um, for, for Pauline teaching. And Paul describes the gospel message like this in Galatians three thirteen: Jesus was cursed so that we could inherit all the fullness of God's blessing. And in Ephesians 1, says that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing. God's heart to bless is all over the biblical drama. If we look at the ironic blessing that we sing, and like I say, a baptism would have been great this morning. It would have been really helpful. I don't know what the protocol is at the moment for, for baptism, but when we sing that song over someone at baptism, we are asking God, we are doing more than asking God, we are conveying and projecting God's goodness into their life. And that goodness is described as protection, the Lord bless you and keep you, described as favor. The shining face is a, a metaphor for God's favor. I always think of someone who's just become a grandparent. I don't know why. There, I mean, um, I saw a photograph this week on Facebook of Cliff. Cliff is here this morning. Cliff Ferguson has just become a grandparent. I saw a photograph on Facebook, and his face was shining with even even more delight and benevolence than it normally shines with. Um, this kind of favor and delight, it talks about God's grace, and then it talks about God lifting up his countenance. That means to be fully present to us. And it finishes with a, a blessing of shalom, peace. The word for peace there, shalom, it sums all of God's intentions for us up. Shalom, peace is like an undisturbed, unthreatened wholeness, a soul felt peace. The blessing of number six is a revelation of God's heart for his people. It's also pointing to how Jesus as a high priest would minister God's blessing forever. Let me say this slowly. God's heart for you today in an, an anxiety-inducing season of life, in a time of disorientation and uncertainty and difficulty, God's heart for you today is blessing and shalom, peace. Are you living in it? Are you living in it? There are many ways that we lose sight of God's heart to bless us. There are many reasons why sometimes we aren't living in God's blessing. Let me give you a few examples. Other people do damage to us. Other people say things that wound deeply. There are things in our lifetime that are spoken over us, whether that's at work or among friends or in childhood or through your family. Things spoken over us or things said to us that come to define our internal dialogue and come to define how we feel about ourselves. Other people do damage. Our families cause damage. No matter how wonderful your family is, every family passes on some kind of dysfunction, some unhealthy emotional baggage, some brokenness of relationship, and it can cause a lack of wholeness. And maybe when you're locked in a house with them for months on end, some of those things can be exacerbated and can be a real struggle. 
And finally, and I think most often, we do damage to ourselves. Sometimes we aren't living in the blessing of God through our own failures, our own personal rebellion, our over-busyness, our inability to sit down and be still and to seek God, our addictions, our pride, our ego. Maybe you feel like um, you've disqualified yourself from God's blessing and heart because you've disappointed him or that he's frustrated with you. And whichever of those uh, things I, I might given as example, resonates with you today. Galatians 3, 13, 14 says, Jesus absorbed the curse of those things so that he could minister the shalom peace of God to you, not just in words, but in power, in real time, and in a way that makes a difference. You see, God has a full and complete knowledge of all the rubbish in your life, every last drop of it. He sees it, he knows it better than you know it yourself, and his verdict about it is delivered in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 says that we are in Christ, and when we are in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. Let me paraphrase Ephesians 1 for you. Let me speak this over the pain points of your life, the frustrations, the disappointments, the the. the the parts of your soul that keep you from living in the blessing and the shalom peace of God that cause brokenness. Ephesians 1, paraphrased, says this, you are chosen. You are holy. You are blameless. You are loved. God is pleased and willing to adopt you as his child. He has poured out grace freely on you. He has redeemed you, forgiven you, shown you his will. You are included, you are wanted, you are given the Holy Spirit, and you are destined to be made perfect in a new heaven and a new earth. Live in the blessing of God. Because as you increasingly live in his blessing... It brings a freedom and a confidence and an overflow to live out God's blessing. In South Wales, there is a Christian retreat center called Falda Brennan. The story of Falda Brennan is told in a book called The Grace Outpouring. Uh, if you haven't ever read it before, I'd highly recommend it. It's an amazing story. But this Christian retreat center in Wales, it was run for over 20 years by a couple called Roy and Daphne Godwin. And when God called Roy and Daphne Godwin to Falda Brennan, Roy was an influential evangelist in the business sector. He had a high-powered, well-paid corporate job that he didn't want to leave. And he was regularly seeing wealthy and influential people won for Jesus through his ministry. And he began to get this sense that God was calling him to take over the work of a Christian retreat center, a Christian camp in literally the middle of nowhere. And he could not shake this sense of calling. But it took him a long time to come round to the idea. And one day he was walking down the street in town and he bumped into another Christian minister. And he was a significant and influential leader in the network of Christian ministers. And this particular minister, at the end of a conversation about how his week had been and this, that and the other, the guy said to him, Roy, I've heard about where you're going. It's the end of your ministry, Roy. It's the end of your impact. I'm so sad to hear that this is happening. Which um, was obviously a beautiful word of encouragement. Roy and Daphne took on the retreat center and they started a process of renovation. 
One afternoon, uh, about a month or so into their renovation work, Roy was at a business conference back in the city. And the next morning, he let out all of his frustration with Daphne and with God. He was like, God, I want so badly to be among people. Why on earth did you bring me to a Christian camp? Please do something. The next morning, there's a knock at the door. This couple had appeared out of nowhere and asked Roy, what, what, what is this place? Like, what are you guys doing here? And Roy works out fairly quickly that they aren't believers and he hasn't a clue what to do with them, but he just makes up some stuff on the spot and he takes them for a little tour of the, the facility. So they take off on this little tour and he serves them a cup of tea. And as they're coming to the end of their tour, they arrive at the little chapel at the far side of the site at Falda Brennan. And and feeling a little bit awkward and unsure of himself in the chapel uh, and not really sure how to finish the tour, how to bring this to an end and send this couple on their way, Roy makes up a tradition on the spot. And he says, listen, um, when when people come here, we have a little like rule, a little tradition. Um, When people stop by, the, the rule is that we like to bless them. Would that be okay? And as they sat down together, Roy and Daphne prayed a blessing over this couple who had walked in off the street, and they prayed this. I bless you in the name of Jesus to know God, to know his purposes for your life, and his blessings on you and your family. Amen. And as he prayed this little word of blessing the couple who had walked in off the street began to experience God's presence in a really tangible way. They started to cry, started to shake. Roy was totally taken aback. He was like, oh, okay, I'll just give you a moment. And he, and he walked off. And he took this thing as a complete one-off. He thought to himself, this is one of those really strange things that happens in the Christian life. I might write it down in my journal, but I'll probably never see anything like that again. The next day, another couple appear at the door. Not really sure why we're here. We just wondered what this place was and what was going on here. And Roy served them a cup of tea. He took them on a little tour. He arrived at the chapel. He thought to himself, do you know what? I'm going to go for it again. Sat them down, prayed the same prayer. The same thing happens. It starts to happen day after day, month after month, first in couples, then in whole multitudes of people, people turning up every day, not quite sure why I'm here, stumbled into this place, received the Holy Spirit, lives totally transformed. At one stage, there was a bit of work being done on the property, and a tradesman was uh, taking a long time to do this work, and Roy and Daphne confronted him about it, and were like, this is taking a long time to get through. And the tradesman sort of took a deep sigh, and he said, you know, I know, I know. It's just, I I don't want to leave here. There was some deforestation work being done at the top of the grounds of the camp. And during this deforestation work, a spring of water that dated back to a time when the land was a Celtic monastic site burst open and living springs of water start to flow on and through the property that hadn't been open for years. So much so that the government actually sent a team to investigate, a team of environmentalists to investigate what was going on with the water. And from this site at Falda Brennan, they begin to radiate out all kinds of blessings on their local community that change the community forever. No lights, no fancy website, no massive funding from a local trust fund, a cup of tea, a walk, and a blessing. Roy and Daphne discovered something by accident, that blessing others in the name of Jesus is not just a matter of words, 
but a matter of power. I'm not suggesting that when you bless people, the results will always be as spectacular as Falda Brennan. Do you know, sometimes Pentecostals need to be reminded that not everything in life is awesome and life-changing. Sometimes Presbyterians need to be reminded that sometimes God does stuff that is awesome and life-changing. Sometimes God meets people while they're locked in the bathroom and, and they're overcome by his presence and they feel like they need to step into his kingdom while they're just hiding from their children, trying to get some peace and quiet. Sometimes God does stuff Presbyterian brothers and sisters that is awesome and life-changing. And when we reach out in love, when, our, when, when the soul reaches out in love and we bless people in the name of Jesus, blessing people in Jesus' name is an invitation for the kingdom to come. It is like a bridge across which the presence of God can flow, across which the power of God can begin to flow. It's like a kingdom channel. When you bless people, it affects the environment that you inhabit every day. Roy Godwin finishes his book and the story of Falda Brennan by saying this, God has set himself with an immovable intent to bless mankind. His desire to bless is absolutely outrageous. God wants our city to experience life-changing blessing. I believe that. Do you? I believe that God wants our city to experience their brokenness replaced by wholeness and shalom peace, to know their wounds met with healing, despair with joy, anxiety with confidence, frustration with fulfillment. The heart of God for our city and our community in outer East Belfast is strong families, flourishing business, brilliant schools, good governance, peaceful communities, and for people everywhere to know the love and the presence of Jesus. That is God's heart for our city. But understand this, God is surprisingly insistent upon our participation and our partnership. The way that God does so often his direct involvement in people's lives is through his church. You see, in number six, the priests are called to bless the people. And in a new covenant, there is a priesthood of all believers. Peter talks about that in the New Testament continually. There is a priesthood of new believers. And the healing and the wholeness and the love of God is ministered to a city through the church of Jesus Christ. We, you and I, are the hope of this city. There are prayers that will not be answered until you pray them. There is blessing that will not be released until we speak it and we do it in Jesus' name. There is love that won't be felt until we give it. There is kingdom ground that won't be taken until we take it. Another question, who is God asking you to bless this week? Who is God asking us as a church to bless this week or this year or in the years to come? 
I want to try and land the plane this morning uh, and just, just finish up by highlighting a few of maybe the more simple and potentially overlooked ways to bless people that have had a really powerful impact on my life. There are lots and lots and lots of creative and imaginative ways to partner with the Holy Spirit and to walk in step with him to bless others out of the overflow of the blessing that we know in our own lives. But I, I want to highlight two because I just think, I feel like God has laid these on my heart and I think they're really powerful. The first way that you can bless others is through specific encouragement. The New Testament word for blessing, eulogia, is where we have uh, derived eulogy. And a eulogy isn't downloaded from the internet, is it? A a eulogy is tailor-made. It's thoughtful. It's creative. It's soulful. And so are blessings. When I was still in school, I was 17, maybe 16 years old, And one day a friend in school told me that I was good with words and I should consider public speaking or trying to preach and teach the Bible. In the same sentence, he also told me that I should never insult people. He said, never insult anyone, Johnny, because you're good with words and it it will do damage. And it was just this moment. It was just a throwaway comment. And in that moment, it was gone. 16 years I'll be 31 this year. For 15 years, that comment, that specific encouragement, that um, kind of thoughtful and creative ability to see my life and my capacity through the eyes of God has strengthened my spirit so many times. You know, I'm sitting there this morning and and, and sitting with all of the normal anxiety and expectation and anticipation that comes with preaching the Bible. And as I'm sitting there, I am still drawing on Stephen's encouragement. I'm thinking, Stephen looked into my life at 16 and said, Johnny, you're good with words. You can do this. You can do this. Encouraging someone in a specific and thoughtful uh, and soulful way is like opening a door for spiritual oxygen and blessing to flow into their life. But it takes us to kind of move beyond our egoic self-absorption of every day and our own kind of clamoring for approval and like, come on, what's my blessing? What am I good at? And it takes this ability to see people and their gifts and their character and their potential through the eyes of God. But it is a simple and a powerful way to project the goodness of God, to reach out from your soul soul in love and project the goodness of God into somebody else's life. Sometimes I think it's especially powerful when it's empowering in the area of your own expertise, gifting, or calling. Let's say I really enjoy preaching and teaching the Bible. I really enjoy public speaking. And some year at at Jam in the summer, there's a 16-year-old who has a go at it. And I see them having a go at it, and they have an obvious gift. I could probably respond to that in two ways. I could be a little bit lukewarm. Okay, yeah, they, they did well. They did well. I could talk about a lot to learn, or I could talk about, well, you'll see what it's really like. Or I could take that young person aside and say to him or her, listen, I know that you've maybe seen me doing this in church, and I've probably been doing this for about 10 years, but I can tell already you're going to be better at this than I am. What can I do to encourage you and to equip you and to bless you? That's not limited, of course, to church and to a sense of spiritual calling. I mean, you could do that in any workplace when the world would typically feel threatened or jealous. 
the kingdom thing, the, the, the way that we bless people is we encourage them and we empower them. Jesus said, and uh, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus did say through his Holy Spirit in the book of James, that in, in, the, in the tongue is the power of life and death. Do you release dysfunction when you speak or do you release blessing through specific encouragement? The second one very quickly is undisturbed and uh, undistracted listening. I, I've almost become convinced that undistracted listening is like a skill and a gift that is almost extinct. And I say that as a terrible listener. We, uh, as, a, as a culture, are self-absorbed. We're digitally frazzled. We are distracted to death. We aren't hearing each other. But I, I was reminded of this at session conference, listening to Vanessa Montgomery speak really powerfully on this subject. When we listen to someone in an undistracted way, the soul literally feels the weight of its worth. Listening to someone in an undistracted way is not a middle-class ideal of niceness. When it's done in partnership with the Holy Spirit, it ministers the blessing of God into someone's life. Look, there are millions of ways to bless others. Uh, more glamorous ways, radical generosity, giving our stuff and our time and our energy away. Prayer ministry, using a pronoun like I to bless someone in prayer ministry, to pronounce I bless you in the name of Jesus. Maybe uh, this morning you would like the prayer ministry team to do that for you. Hospitality, is a way to bless people, discipling others over time. I could do a whole series, but he here's uh, a simple invitation this morning. I've only given you a couple of examples, but I do, I do need to land the plane here. This world is a little bit anxiety-inducing at the moment. I don't know what the announcement will be on Tuesday. I don't know what the British and Irish government will do next. I don't know uh, where things will be in October. I don't know if we'll be here in October. I don't know about your job or mine. I just know that there's a lot of disorientation. There's a lot of uncertainty. I don't even know what normal will look like when we arrive there. I just want to make a suggestion for you. Uh, uh, look at me. Orangefield. One day at a time. We can do this. Live in the blessing of God. Wherever it is lacking in your life, step back into the blessing of God. And then live out the blessing of God because our world needs it like never before. And that is who we are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray. I'm going to invite wherever the band are, um, if they could come and join me. We are going to finish um, this morning just with a little time of ministry. And the band are going to actually sing this blessing of God over you. Um, as we do that, why don't we stand um, just to uh, worship together and to receive this blessing. Receiving blessing is like an art form as well. Blessing is asymmetrical. It, it's not something that you like... You know, you have to repay all the time. It, it, sometimes you just have to receive blessing. But let, let me just pray for a moment. Um, let's take a moment to wait on God and let some of uh, those words that I, I hope and pray and expect are from him begin to sink into our hearts this morning. Father, we, we wait for you now.
Lord, we know that there's a world out there in need of blessing, craving the blessing of God, your goodness and your favor. But Lord, we need it too. We need to live in your blessing, your goodness and your favor. And we're aware of ways where we lack peace, uh, we lack shalom, we feel brokenness and pain, and we need you to minister to us now. Help us, Lord, to live in the blessing of God. Help us to live out your blessing. Father, as uh, as the band sing this blessing over us, we invite you to pour out your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.